If you haven't already, sign up for my weekly newsletter. Along with receiving updates about each new episode, you will also get one actionable insight every Saturday to boost your career, fund, or startup. My newsletter is value-packed authentic and full of unique insights. This newsletter is also the best way to join our growing community of climate investors. We found that building a community is probably the ultimate force multiplier and it gives us the momentum we need to create profound change. Let's share and collaborate. I'm just here to empower you to get started and set you on a path to success so our collective ideas can flourish and expand. Come join us to drive huge impact. Welcome to Climate Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the climate revolution. My name is Johan Berno, and I'm on a mission to shake things up. It is time we get serious and address this climate crisis. In each episode, I'll provide a platform for top climate thinkers, entrepreneurs, and investors to share their insights, innovations, and contrarian views. Let's learn from visionary thought leaders and hear their ideas that can profoundly reshape society and bring us one step closer to a sustainable world. In today's episode, I'm receiving Tim Stepish, the founder of ClimateU, a platform that connects climate tech companies with talents and investors. Most people know Tim through his newsletter, Last Week in Climate, where he lays the weekly close rounds, news, events, and jobs available in climate. It's a bit like Climate Tech VC, but specifically for Europe. We talk about a lot of things, community building, turning a newsletter into a movement, helping millions of people find their dream jobs in climate, and which events to attend in Europe to build a killer network. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Let's go. Tim, I'm super pumped to have you on Climate Insiders. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's start with a personal matter first, and then we can get serious. In one word, how would your best friend describe Tim Stepish? Uh... My best friend would probably say focused. Uh, I always get this joke that I just get really into things. Like if I watch a movie, I'm like not there. Like you can, I don't know, do whatever <laughs> you want to me, sing to me. I'm not going to realize. And it's kind of like a superpower for some things. And then it's a, a horrible feature to have for other things. So I always get shit for it. So I guess that's the, the word you would choose. All right. Hyper-focused. But it, it looks to me from the outside that you're kind of doing a lot, right? So you're pushing a lot of envelopes at the same time so it, it's it, you know it's easy to get distracted how do you combine both yeah 100 uh, percent. i think at the beginning i was a bit uh, i completely got out of that focus and there's so many things going on you get an email here and then since there's so many user groups and i mean we can get into that but uh yeah at the beginning it was tough but now i just always have very clear kind of just basic things, how I structure my to-do list, how I structure my week, how I structure my day to kind of push out all the distraction, even how to go through emails efficiently, LinkedIn messages efficiently, WhatsApp, and so on. Um, so it's taken probably one and a half years of practice. And I think now I'm at a stage of focus again, but I definitely had my distractions here. So uh, you're focusing in the chaos and um, yeah. you, you've become one of those guys that people know by name, right? So there's kind of in your inbox, there's always a, <laughs> but they might not be familiar with you, your story, but also your, you as a face, right? But um, I, first of all, I thought the name was Climate EU. It has turned into Climate U. Can I give us the genesis of all that and why do you change your name? Yeah, yeah, of course. So uh, it started with me sitting in a venture builder in Berlin and my run takes brainstorming names. And 
was super excited about build a place for anyone in climate. So started with the idea of climate U, but then also excited about building something for Europe. So then we said, okay, let's, let's make it climate EU. And we just had to capitalize the E to turn it into climate EU. But there was a horrible branding. Um, people couldn't find it. They wrote it with two E's. People in the UK or Norway thought they couldn't be part of the platform. Um, and then yeah. you have like an Australian founder that wants to upload his pitch deck and he thinks he's not allowed to, and it was just not working for me. And so we decided, okay, let's, let's go back to the roots. Let's go back to climate. You, you, anyone uh, can work in climate, uh, still not perfect branding, but we thought the EU has to go. And I think your regional company focus shouldn't necessarily be in the name. Uh, so one thing that I kind of realized, so we went back. That's true. That's true. But, you know, once a, a branding sticks, it's hard to switch, right? Does it stand for Climate University or nothing unrelated? No, really, it started with the idea of you, like the letter U as a short form for you, like you can work on climate change. That's really how it started. And yeah, just because of the mix of EU and U, it was the only way to do it. So for now, it's going to stand for like you, anyone can work on climate. One day, I hope. The branding agency figures out a better name for us, but for now we'll stick to it. <laughs> Once you have a better budget for it. Yeah, exactly. exactly, exactly. So you, I'm one of those 11,000 people that receive your newsletters, but for those that don't know it, right, that are not fully familiar with it, how can you give a kind of brief introduction to all the things that you do on your platform and services that you offer? Okay, so I think someone said it the other day as I'm kind of trying to build a one-stop shop for climate tech. Um, I guess they put it quite well. So really just build a community and platform for climate tech, starting with focus on Europe, because no one somehow is doing anything in Europe, I feel like, or everyone who's doing something globally is ignoring Europe a little bit, I think. Mm -hmm. um, like CTVC is amazing. And I just started reading CTVC and always getting super frustrated. It didn't cover any European rounds that I was seeing. The same thing, same story. This is why I started this podcast. I was listening to My Climate Journey or Catalyst, some of those guys. Uh, but the interviewees were always Americans. And out of frustration, I built this. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Okay. So, so you can relate for sure. Yeah. So really just a place for anyone in the climate tech sector, be it someone looking for a job, be it the climate tech companies themselves that are looking for talent or investors, be it the investors themselves looking for deal flow or trying to understand the climate tech space or just building the community, be it from complete outsider, corporate, uh, someone working at a marketing agency, but he's saying, hey, I want to focus on purpose-driven companies. So really ultimate goal is just kind of create a one place uh, for everyone who wants to be a part of this movement, as I would say. It's, it's, it's becoming nice. And if I got things correctly, right. So connecting all the dots. So it all started, you said in Rio and you sent out your first newsletter, uh, out of a desire to give away value and then it grew organically or, or not organically. You can tell us mm. to 11,000. That's <laughs> ridiculous. By the way, I, I did yeah. the math. It didn't take a PhD to do that. 12 weeks, uh, almost 12,000 followers. That's 1000 followers per, per month. How do you pull it off? Yeah, so I mean, it's been a bit longer. Hey? So it's been, I think, one and a half years now. I had just stopped my time in VC. I had built a little landing page for Climate U. Um, back then, it was also Climate U. And uh, it was basically just open source databases of uh, companies and investors, investors that have invested in climate and climate tech companies. And it was just like an Airtable sheet. People could like add their, their data. And then before I wanted to actually go all in, I decided to take a three weeks vacation. I climbed the mountain in Colombia with some friends. And I, you, I think I posted about this on, 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 uh, on LinkedIn is what you're referring to. Then I went to Rio um, and said, okay, I'm going to start building company from Rio. And uh, I sat in Rio and uh, I thought, okay, I need to force myself to somehow sit down every week 
go through all the rounds, go through the news, kind of since I want to build a platform in the space, like really force myself to do this on a weekly basis. So I just thought, okay, I just start a newsletter. I just kind of CTVC style and I'll change all the things I don't like about CTVC and try to make it a bit better or like better from my perspective. And that's just how it started. It was really just an exercise for me. And I thought probably my friends and colleagues are going to subscribe to it. And then it kind of escalated from there. Obviously, by now, it's really interrelated with the platform. So most of the data is actually open source. People can add their news. People can add funding rounds, upcoming funding rounds, and so on. Um, so really, like, intertwining the two has worked super well. I mean, we can get into it uh, a bit deeper as well. But in a nutshell, yeah, it's just been... Uh, really starting with just letting everyone know that there is this newsletter having a good database obviously already of climate tech companies reaching out to everyone sending an email adding people on linkedin really on all channels just letting people know hey this is a free resource you can use you can use this to use this to promote yourself you can use it to find other people in the ecosystem so really kind of an idea of hey, a platform built by the ecosystem and that kind of went rolling then. So today, like I go to an event or like a founder's retreat and people are like, oh yeah, I know you. I remember when you sent out that email about your newsletter and I'm subscribed since then. Um, so that has, that has worked really well. So I do have uh, so many questions for, from there, but uh, one that jumps at me is, uh, so it sounds like a lot. I mean, you, you've gathered 11,000 people here uh, and one way that's a lot. I, I wonder how representative it is of the full ecosystem. What's the penet penetration rate, do you think? And does that exclude the rest of the world, right? What, what's the breakdown, I guess, geographically wise? Yeah, yeah. It's really hard to say because Substack doesn't give you the data. The platform does give me some data. So uh, now we have 1,500, almost 1,600 companies uh, present. It's not perfectly covered because I don't have every email domain perfectly matched to each company when they're not on the platform. Uh, but just in a newsletter. Geographically, there's a big focus still on Germany, the UK, uh, like Dach region, but the US as well. There's quite a lot of uh, American-based subscribers, like especially people that are looking for a job in Europe. But yeah, like uh, Central Europe, Western Europe, the typical climate tech hotspots, I think that there's a bit of a bias there. Not ideal data because uh, I just can't get that only from the email domain. I need people to still fill out their their profile to to actually know where they're, where they're based. But yeah, this, uh, that's more or less the focus there. And uh, you, you know, uh, I mean, you kinda, we can kind of use each other as pair, sparing partners here. So as I grow um, this podcast, one of the surprises that I had, because I had a strong focus on European founders and investors at the beginning, just to give them a megaphone that they wouldn't have otherwise. I was surprised that still my biggest uh, traffic driver is the US. And I think it's because that people are curious. They want to know what's going on on the other side of the Atlantic. You have a lot of fund managers that do have some exposure to European companies. I still think in the mind, Europe is a bit of a trendsetter, or at least on the policymaking or, or you know, on certain trends ahead of the game. So they, they're kind of sucking intelligence from it. So I wonder whether you're observing the same trend where there's curiosity. There's also a bridge that is still trying to be established between the two continents and beyond yeah. just job seeking. No, 100%. I, I, when I started this whole thing uh, to cover the bills a bit, I did some consulting projects with USBC funds. And it was kind of a similar sentiment that basically all, U, all US funds are suddenly interested in Europe. Um, also, in my time in BC, I remember looking at a lot of charts from kind of the European Union, analyzing venture funding in Europe and how it's growing. So there has already been momentum into BC, kind of VC funding in Europe. And then climate tech has really been booming. Also, CTVC always has portrayed it as Europe had like way less funding and way less companies mm. than the US, but they just Which didn't was not cover true. the market. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think the guys at Planet A looked at the funding. Uh, don't quote me on that, but so I heard that actually Europe had more funding, more companies. Uh, I mean, we have amazing engineering, regulation-driven, kind of you know what startups are going to pop up once the EU decides this is banned, this is what's what's upcoming. And so it's a really exciting market. And I think the, the kind of startup snowball effect of one successful climate tech company exiting the co-founders, starting a new company. Uh, you already see that now with Planetly. Um, the co-founder side new company mm-hmm. and, and I think it's just gonna keep going and so I think it's just really exciting momentum Ooh, that's and a, yes. it's a spiky yeah. case <laughs> we could talk about this for, for hours yeah. so two follow-up questions on, on your newsletter which is kind of the core of your platform that's kind of the vitrine right the gateway and um, if, if I were to play devil's advocate and I do have a newsletter so I'm part of your camp here but I people tend to to sign up subscribe to a million different newsletters and then they're completely overwhelmed with emails all over the place um, yeah. you actually wrote about this right the fact that it, it, it was right. the problem right so how do you aggregate knowledge from so many different sources so do you still think newsletter is is the future right it is the main mm. portal through which people need to interact and share information or there's got to be a better tool or a channel for that yeah i mean i would hope that i mean obviously they are essential like even for me they're a great source of information but i exactly went through that funnel where i subscribed to all the climate newsletters and then there was so much copy and everything that i was completely overwhelmed and this is why usually i don't have any copy there's there's a short kind of company updates section at the beginning if there's anything new to say and anything else is just as short as possible links so people can just check out what they want to check out And it's really just an aggregation. So I would hope that one day AI just takes that over. You can just feed it, Mm. let's say, 20 newsletters and then aggregates most important things for you. I've seen some people write newsletters that are meant to be these very short kind of bits. But then often I find them also to be too superficial or not very well done. So I haven't haven't found the format where I'm super excited about. And uh, also, like, from my perspective, it's just uh, really so much work to aggregate all that data Uh at the end it looks very nice and clean but it takes a while oh man yeah tell me about it i don't know like if ai is capable to say hey i want all updates from my climate journey and uh, ctvc and last weekend climate and this weekend climate and whatever's out there and and just condense it for me the funding rounds and whatever and combine it all in one amazing i i hope that exists uh at some point but i think right now everything that exists is quite like tagging key based on keywords and i haven't found anything that i was excited about so yeah my hope is going to be a newsletter that's not really a newsletter more like a summary of everything else uh that people just quickly skim through and click on the links that they're interested in but i i'm not going to write any copy uh so i'm not going to become like the ctdc insight section mm. um so no analysis just pure up-to-date information i think so far not really no i think there's always bits to it but uh just right always starts with a lot of coffee that I just can't keep track of there. Right. So so give us a reality check, right? How, how many hours does it take to craft one email that you send weekly? And and how much of that is you versus your army of small hands or, or chat GPT style Gen AI tools? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think like every week I get a bit smarter of how to be a bit more efficient with it. Sometimes it can just be a few hours, especially if you're very active. If I remind myself to send reminders out for people to please add data, uh, but often I don't. Often it gets kind of lost in translation or people are just lazy. And then I think the longest, if it's a really like, really like tough week with a lot of funding rounds, I might spend the entire Monday on it or like Friday before. Uh, sometimes it's four hours, sometimes it's two hours. 
but something, yeah, something between two and eight hours every week. So it takes up quite a bit, but it's also kind of my weekly cleaning of all the data on the platform, upcoming funding rounds, closed funding rounds, uh, making sure everything is kind of correct. There's no errors, there's no duplicates, um, and uh, just making sure everything's running smoothly. So it, it, it kind of is that Pandora's box where you try to be focused again, um, but then it goes into many directions. Right. And you're not the first one. You're definitely not the first one that has attempted this. Probably multiple people are still trying, right, to aggregate and to list. Uh, but you're probably one of the few that have uh, sustained that over the long run and has reached kind of critical mass. But has, has there been any point where you kind of, you didn't see the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel or you could not convert that into a business case uh, or you, you're on the verge of giving up because it's too oh, much yeah. time? And... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, multiple times. So so not on giving up the newsletter, but there has always been the, okay, should this really be the focus or should I just, you know, ask someone, a volunteer, hire to just do this mm. uh, and I focus on the platform. And this is like a side thing. But uh, it's also my like self-education, staying up to date, uh, all the articles I post there, I actually read. Um, so I sit there myself on Tuesday, I finally take time to read all of the articles. Uh, of my own newsletter to finally take the time. So um, it's kind of my essential homework. But yeah, there have been points, not just with the newsletter, but with the entire platform, right? At the beginning, uh, and I, I think I, I, I posted quite a bit of content on this. Like at the beginning, I started this without any concrete business case in mind. So it was really just building whatever I felt like made sense, whatever I was missing in other resources, but I had no idea what I actually wanted to build out of it. I knew that I thought there was really big impact in helping people find a job in the space in Europe. And I knew I was very excited about VC, kind of mm. coming from that background, just excited about working with founders, uh, working with VC, staying in that world. And so there was definitely a lot of moments there. I was like, how is this going to work out? How, how is there going to be a business case? And at the beginning, it was really completely random as well. What I tried out with premium subscriptions and what was premium and no user groups. Everyone saw the same thing. And suddenly there's some premium filters and, and you're always constantly learning. But yeah, at some point, uh, uh, before I also did consulting on the side, it was, there was a lot more. So I was like, oh, why am I doing this? Like, I should just go back to like a climate right. PC and turn this into a side project. Um, that has, <laughs> there has been a lot of moments. So what's the business case now? Like, first of all, is that a cash cow? Is that generating more and incommensurable amounts that you didn't expect? To generate with a newsletter or this kind of ecosystem and and b is um, uh, what's the business case meaning where do people pay and and how do you generate kind of value for yourself yeah, yeah yeah so 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 now now it's going super well uh both on the hiring side and on the investing side but i think the first year i mean the, the business case was really a shit show to say it like that um there was no my entire management education went out of the window there was no strategy behind it, it was just tim being super operational things not being automated and not looking at the big picture at all, uh, but really just trying to puzzle it all together. And then I think key moment was just at some point, uh, we started building this giant scraper. We just scraped all climate tech jobs across Europe uh, to actually mm. understand what happens in there, who's actually hiring, what's happening, what kind of companies. And then we turned that into a free product for people looking for jobs. So we spend a lot of time building kind of like a, you could call it nlp it's it's like somewhere in between in between ai and very uh, manually selecting keywords uh, to automatically tag all these jobs put them into categories um, and then let people just set up a profile and get automated job recommendations and once that had happened and worked 
then a bunch of people signed up and, and kind of spread the word and hey you get free job recommendations here that actually fit your background your country focus uh your experience level and then we could turn it around and sell that to companies and say look uh subscription base you get access to all these talents you know what job they're looking for and that kind of was the point where the products started making sense and from there, then it turned also in the in the hole. And now I'm kind of all over the place in, in, in my explanation here. But then that kind of gave the freedom then once it was all automated, once it all worked, to focus on the whole investing side and building a deal, deal sourcing uh, tool for investors. So two business cases, uh, we charge companies for access to talents. They get completely free access to the entire fundraising side, access to investors, and we charge investors for access to deal flow. Um, and everyone else can use everything for free. Wow. And... Is there a kind of um, a, a stat that you could share with us? So how many people did you help? I, I, I don't want to throw you under the bus here, but it's kind of insightful for the community to know how many people uh, found a job through your platform and what, what the, the volumes of transactions that you see also on the deal side. Yeah, it's it's really tricky on the on the hiring side. And something I'm working on is the whole tracking this because from the beginning I said, look, it's an, it's an impact-driven business. So the most important thing is that people apply for jobs and they actually get seen as candidates. So I, what I didn't want is if I scrape a job, for example, from a company to then keep that person on the platform and only if the recruiter actually takes the time to go on the platform, only then does he actually get uh, into, taken into consideration for the hiring process. So we just forward people. We literally, the moment the job is there, we just send people over and uh, we can look at page views, but we can't, we don't really know who gets hired. So it's entirely based on users coming back to us and saying, I got a job or companies that are paying the subscription to say, amazing, we actually did hire these people. But it's it's really difficult still. And same on the deal sourcing side. The investors just get access to all the deals the moment they're subscribed. There's no there's no success fee. Um, so we don't know if they're mm. Like We've had some cases uh, that we can't, we're unfortunately not allowed to share, but um, it's I can't track it. Uh, so that that's really a pain in the neck. Um, it's something we're trying to figure out and, and trying to make it better by letting people save jobs first, mark them as applied, having investors create a shortlist of companies and mark them as, yes, we actually contacted them and so on. So then once we see the deal, we know this was because of us. Um, but it's still, it's, it's very tricky. Um, sometimes I jump on a call with, with a signed up company and uh, ask them like, for feedback and I think, okay, they're going to say like, oh, yeah, we've had some traction, but we haven't hired anyone. And then it's like an early stage founder that I think at the beginning we charged 49 euros. He's like, oh, amazing. I paid 49 euros and I have my head of data science. I have a freelance data scientist and now we're talking to another software engineer. So that's amazing. Um, but I don't have numbers, um, unfortunately, which makes it really hard in sales calls, by the way. Um, so this is something we're working on. We'll have to get you back on the show or, uh, at some point when you, when you have data to share. And yeah, I'm definitely. curious as well, on the long term, right, the long term vision that you have, let's assume again, as, as I mentioned, 11,000, congrats, amazing, great first milestone. But how do we convince the army of hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of people that want to join the climate fight, be active, you know, find their soul and align their values? How do we make this a, a mainstream thing where the entire population finds a job in there? Yeah, I think that the tricky thing is that we're all in quite a bubble. Uh, we talk about climate tech companies and climate jobs, but most of my friends and colleagues that are then not colleagues, friends that are not from the business world, they don't know what a climate job is. They don't know what a climate tech job is, a climate tech company is. They don't understand VC or working in startups. So that is definitely a very tricky one. Um, so I think, first of all, education, 
uh, is one big piece just on getting people excited and really creating a movement. Um, I think there's this theory you need like 2.5% of the population to create a movement. So we have to go a, a, a lot higher than, than uh, 11,000 people. Um, but uh, I think really yeah, just educating people on it and then also bringing corporates in because not everyone wants to work uh, for startup. Not everyone wants to work for sustainability consultancy. Uh, you also need sustainability roles at other companies. And I think, so we started opening the floodgates there, but it's really tricky to do it in the right way. So you don't suddenly have a branding marketing job framed as a sustainability job. Um, a lot of it is still employer branding. And so how do you, how do you bring corporates in without job seekers feeling like the platform is losing their value of, Hey, these are actually jobs that make a difference. So that's something we've, we've kind of uh, been trying to figure out. But yeah, really, I, I'm on a panel with a bunch of corporates talking about climate tech. And they're all like, okay, so what about us? Uh, I mean, we're not a startup. Uh, uh, people uh, won't find us on your platform. So, so how can we be involved? So I think that's really something to figure out. Um, so it's like a bubble within a bubble. Um, and uh, it's something I'm discussing a lot. And I don't have a good answer for it. Uh, really, there's so many solutions. Uh, targeting different sectors in the climate space and i think it's for all of us to come together and figure out what's the flow of people how do they even come across this place uh, this space and how do we kind of yeah open the doors and bring more people in um and uh you will always find the people who are already interested in sustainability active on linkedin but how do you find people whose linkedin algorithm is tailored to completely different things um so so it's a bit tricky and so, so most of the, or many of the listeners are still curious whether there's the right job for them in climate or in impact in general. What, what do you say to them? I literally, literally every week get asked by friends, really close circles. I love what you do. This is super inspiring. I want a part of it. I just don't have the technical profile. I just don't know anything about climate. I'm not an investor. And so there's a reality check that, you know, people face. And I often tell them climate tech as a category is just so new. It's three years old, four years old. I don't know if you face the same challenge. And, and what do you tell to them? And how do you think we can break that glass ceiling of self-limiting uh, belief that people yeah. don't have what it takes to, to penetrate the climate space? Yeah, I know. Super good question. I think that there's a lot of misconceptions. So the first the first one, the most common one is that a job in climate is a sustainability job that you need to somehow now understand how to drive sustainability with an organization when actually it's about a company doing something great for the climate and you can really be in any role in that company. So obviously startups, uh, engineering, like hardware companies, software companies, require the exact same talent that all kinds of other companies uh, require. So I think there's just a misconception there, maybe it's in the term, but for example, if you go on a, on a, on a call with Indeed or LinkedIn and you ask them what a climate job is or what a sustainability job is, they have a completely different definition of, of what that actually means. So it, it is a very confusing world. If you put 10 community builders and climate together they will all have a different definition of a climate job often so it, it's tricky if we don't even know what a climate job is then how are people to to understand what it is then another one is uh the misconception that they're all early stage startups with five people in there and you're going to be paid uh, 10 000 euros a month and uh, probably not getting any equity <laughs> uh, um, people just think they they won't have the same opportunities it's going to be a step back not necessarily realizing that there's huge venture back cases. I think that's a huge issue. And then I guess once you show people that there's a job with their background, uh, that it is well paid because they're well funded, then the one hurdle is still that I discover is that people 
a lot of people that want to work in climate they're already quite like on top of Maslow's pyramid like they want everything mm -hmm. uh, so now they're looking for purpose but they still want to work remotely uh, ideally with a, a UK salary but they want to be working from Portugal and and these combinations that's where it gets tricky and a lot of people are like oh, i can't find anything and sometimes say okay maybe don't put 15 filters on your job search but like start with two and like actually read through the job description and uh, uh like maybe start off from the industry you're excited about and then look what's out there maybe you'll have to compromise like if you want to have an impact you might have to move to a place you didn't plan to to live in but there's definitely a job but i think if you want everything that can be a bit tricky uh some people are lucky and some people um, are quite uh, obviously set in, in their environment and uh, their way of working. And that makes it more difficult. So quite a few elements, I guess. Um, so, so yeah, the paid understanding and uh, finally also a bit of uh, compromise, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, there's two things that keep recurring in my conversations with people looking to penetrate in climate or, or misperceiving it. Perceiving it in the wrong way. Number one is the this. I don't know why, but it is still the this uh, predominant notion that you cannot make money being in climate. It's completely different fields, or you know, you need to still work in finance or in big tech and not in climate, right? And and I'm here to say that you can actually make a lot of money while saving the planet at the same time. It's actually one fuels the other because the movement is only getting is only building up now. The momentum will yeah. pick up, you know, speed again towards the later part of the decade. Why? Because there's so many, you know, corporate and government engagements and targets and objectives in 2030. It's kind of the wall. If we, that we, we're going to have to ride that wave to to meet those, those kind of targets. Even if we miss them by a little bit or a lot, it is still an enormous momentum that we will observe in the coming years. So that's kind of a preconceived notion, number one. And the second is the hardware versus software battle. You know, a lot of people look at a company and they say, holy shit, they're doing nuclear fusion or they're, it's an agriculture, something extremely complex. I, I just, where can I fit in there? Well, any organization is software empowered, right? Or, or software um, enhanced. So there's a lot of software jobs. There's a lot of operation jobs, sales jobs, marketing jobs, anything. A company that wants to change the world and has a really innovative way to do it will need to hire thousands of people at every function in the value chain. So there is a seat for you. Yeah. No, 100%. I, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I also think that a lot of people think that they need to be an expert in the exact thing that the company is doing. So if it's a fermentation startup, uh, uh, alternative cheese, they think now suddenly you're an expert on it. But I think actually founders, a lot of founders that I talk to, they're looking more for like a value alignment. Uh, just people who mm -hmm. want to make a difference. They yeah. don't suddenly need to, I don't know, uh, have a PhD in uh, biosciences uh, to, to, to join that startup. And I think there's a lot of, I think it's, it's with a lot of things. Like I, I have a lot, of things, a lot of good things happen to me because I just jumped at them. And I just, when people told me I couldn't do them or it's sad kind of had requirements that I wasn't meeting, I just applied for it anyway. And that always worked out really well for me. And most people that, like on my left and right and my like close friends, they're like, oh, but you know, like it's so risky or I'm probably not going to get it because it says that. And then people just don't even try because they have a misconception or maybe it sounds a bit challenging. But uh, then you find these people in climate who just like really warriors and they're like, they're networking mm -hmm. they're, uh, like a day and night. They're trying to get to founders and in conversations and on calls and they're trying to learn more. And, and then they'll apply anyway and they talk to a recruiter and then they get the role because they see like they really want this and they bring that attitude to the job as well. And I think that's what the companies are looking for. And 
yeah, so I think the, there's often this, ah, uh, no, you know, climate, I have nothing to do with that. Uh, I worked right. in tech sales before. But yeah, you can like just like, uh, like bring Absolutely. you everything and, and you'll get it. And another another topic that is recurring, and this is people that are already in the climate circles or the ones that are trying to penetrate, is since we've reached critical mass, I believe as a as an ecosystem, there's a lot of events that you could attend to almost on a weekly basis throughout Europe. And I'm not even mentioning in the US, uh, but just if we focus on Europe for a moment, uh, so the critical number of events and you kind of need to cherry pick, but also where to base yourself. And Naval Ravikant, some of the Silicon Valley gurus, they always say that picking the environment where you base yourself, especially in your 20s or 30s, will be a defining moment in your career because this you're a function of your environment and also you become the average of people you hang out with. This is your network. Everything gets... So there are two decisions here is where do you base yourself? And I, you can speak about your decision to relocate. I'm very curious to, uh, to understand why. And, and B is... Um, uh, sh should you fly around throughout Europe to attend as many events as possible to build critical size in your network, or is just a, is there a smarter way to do that? Yeah. So so uh, yeah, totally agree. Uh, it makes especially if you want to work in the climate tech space, as in you want to work with startups. I mean, Berlin, London, Stockholm, Amsterdam, Paris. Like yes, it makes it a lot easier. Um, the companies are popping up everywhere. But again, like if you have all these criteria, a certain industry you want to work in, specific background, obviously the more choice you have, the easier it gets. Um, I think hiring, especially in the German speaking area, is still very relationship based. So mm -hmm. yeah, if you're in Berlin and you meet people at events and uh, people are friends of friends or colleagues or former colleagues, etc., that just makes things easier. As biased as it is, it's still how it works a lot of the time. So it does make a lot of sense. Um, and so I guess that kind of already plays into the second question. So it does, I think, make a lot of sense to base yourself in the climate tech hotspots. Um, so, yeah, like I said, uh, all these like capital cities, uh, even Germany, also Munich is kind of uh, coming up like really anywhere, but really anywhere you have a big university, like uh, on the engineering side as well, you have a lot of startups coming up. You can, in theory, find your community everywhere. Yes, you can try to go to all the events, uh, etc. But like for me, for example, if I would want to work in Germany, like why would I invest, uh, uh, invest time and fly to the UK to see all the events there? I think then just focus on Berlin, on building a community there and, and getting the ecosystem, which is really exciting as well, because I think it's a really open-minded, uh, cheerful, like optimist community to get in anyway, um, to get involved with, to mm -hmm. go to events, to maybe just organize a coffee date or... Like I want to do Taco Tuesdays now soon, like climate climate tacos, like just like have fun with it because there's just really great people in it. Um, and uh, yeah, so so why why fly, fly through Europe? There is obviously once you work in the space, like the drop uh, where I met you as well, like that event just for me, again, opened a lot of doors, a lot of conversations. So for me, it makes a lot of sense uh, to go to these events. I try to keep it very minimal though um i'm even organizing events now without being there so uh, i had my first berlin meetup pretending i'd come and see how many people show up and then say guys i'm actually not coming and now trying to pass that over to people to just self-organize um tell us about your move so what about so you mentioned the hubs the hotspots in the north or eastern europe or central europe what about the south yeah, exactly. So it is a bit of a mix of a personal move and I think a really good professional move as well that I'm going to be based out of Barcelona, out of the Norskin house, 
I heard about the idea of building an impact hub in Barcelona or the plan of building that two years ago uh, as I was in a VC. And the partner at uh, Square One mentioned that to me, that that was happening and I should get involved. And that was pre-me starting the first landing page for Climate You. So um, I got super excited about it, but then decided to go all in on Climate You. And then a year later, also the email arrives from Norskin, uh, which is also one of my favorite uh, climate tech funds out there saying, hey, House in Barcelona is happening. Um, you can kind of put yourself in the waiting list. Uh, 1,000 people working in climate under one roof, uh, beachfront, event space, gym in the house. It's like, okay, that sounds mm. that sounds pretty amazing. That's convincing. Um, that is very convincing. Uh, I'm a I'm a sucker for beach volleyball. Uh, it's uh, my my way to turn my head off after or before work. So I have the beach right in front of the house. I have a crowd to play with, hopefully, in the house. Um, nice. So. Yeah, I, I speak Spanish. I studied in Argentina. Um, it's been it's been kind of everything coming together. Um, and also, actually, for me, being in a place like Berlin is almost counterproductive uh, because I can every day go to an event, to a meetup, meet someone for coffee, for lunch. And uh, I've built a lot of climate view being somewhere remote on a mountain, um, having quick video calls where necessary and trying to focus on the platform wherever I can. Uh, because I feel like I could just meet people all day because anyone is relevant um, for me to talk to. Um, and so it's been nice to kind of take myself out of the Berlin bubble a bit. And uh, now Barcelona, I feel like, is a good um, middle point where you have a growing community, you have a lot of companies coming up, a lot of alternative protein companies, for example, are really based in Barcelona. Uh, and I meet a lot of founders now that are relocating to Barcelona because of the house. So I think it's going to be very exciting. And if you like sun, yeah, absolutely. Well, lots of good reasons. And you know what? A couple of years ago, I was listening to Chris Saka, so who's a bit of a superstar angel, angel investor um, in Silicon Valley, who said that his best career move was to take himself out of the ecosystem of San Francisco. And he relocated to Lake Tahoe, which is literally uh, four hours outside of San Francisco in the middle of nowhere. And he had the entrepreneurs come his way. So his contrarian move was not to go in a hub, but go outside of it and then sort of stay laser focused, but also have people cherry picking the people that would hang out with them and then spend quality time. And I found that it was a bit of my strategic move this year as well to make that shift of cherry picking the, 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 the events, right? Not flying around. It's, it, you waste so much energy, right? Uh, and, and mental space oh, yeah. going to a, a large conference. When going on a retreat, hanging out with 30, 40 people that are really, really smart, and you can dedicate quality time to that, those interactions. I think long-term, you probably gain much more. I, I found that to be, as you said, it's great to hear from you, the, the, the idea of, um, of taking a contrarian stance and not going to the bigger events, but the more laser-focused and build quality relationships. Yes, no, 100%, definitely. And especially in my case, it's, I think, even stronger, um, it makes even more sense because in the end, I want to bring everyone in. So if I want to suddenly uh, have a high quality relationship with everyone that I want to use my platform, I mean, I'm just going to be meeting people all day um, since it's all these parties and trying to get everyone involved. So for me, it's been nice to whenever someone reaches out and wants to jump on a call, I'm like, hey, could you like first sign up on the platform, check it out, see like how you can use it there. I'm trying to like streamline it through there. Uh, and that's been really helpful. Um, I started some, like maybe you saw today in the news that now so I'm doing like some consulting calls now. So if someone wants like mm. actual like paid advice, I'll do that. 
so that I also value my time a bit. It's also at the beginning, I think I had no self-respect where I was like, no, I need to help everyone. And I was kind of this pro bono guy just building something for free for nine months um, and just jumping across to everyone and then saying, okay, no, this is actually, uh, uh, this time has a value and actually that value I can use to grow the platform. So now kind of giving everyone the option, but then also it has a benefit for the platform. So I'm trying to find that balance, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we're almost running out of time. I, I guess one personal question you posted about this, the idea you advocate for people to do more crazy things and surround themselves with crazy people. So I wonder whether that is a precious advice for anybody or any particular type, really, because you definitely um, your your activities allow it. You can go as nuts as you want. Uh, but do you think that applies to everybody? Mm. <laughs> I think I think everyone can get out of their comfort zone a bit more and do a few crazier things and try to maybe self-analyze a bit more about maybe uh, limiting beliefs uh, or social barriers that are holding you back, just something you've just grew up believing. Um, like me coming out of St. Gallen, the go-to was, okay, we all mm -hmm. need to work in McKinsey, Bain or BCG, or we're not really good at what we're doing. And then like looking at that being like, no, I'm just going to start a little small bootstrap company uh, uh, focusing on the climate tech sector, which back then like seemed nuts to a lot of people. And now you have a lot of these McKinsey people now like looking into the climate tech sector, right? So, um, and, and, and looking like how they can apply their skills there. And I think, uh, yeah, everyone has little things, maybe not as uh, crazy. I mean, I'm uh, uh, still uh, not married, no children. I can, uh, I can do a lot more, I can take more risks. Um, but, uh, I think, yeah, there's all these cliche sayings about the comfort zone and nothing ever grows there and so on. And I think some of them were very true. Um, and just surrounding yourself with not necessarily crazy people, it's maybe also a bit provocative, but just different people, people who do something mm -hmm. completely different to you, who challenge you and, um, to learn what feedback to listen to, what not to listen to, just take people's opinions in. Um, which traveling, I think, um, opens your mind to a lot of ideas and, and, and fresh perspectives and uh, uh, how to do things differently. So, um, yeah, I mean, to this day, I think the, the one thing that, that made me succeed the most is just that uh, I lived in a lot of places and I feel very comfortable connecting with people, bringing people together. And that came from crazy things like working in Brazil as a photographer and uh, 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 doing random things that most people coming out of business school don't do. And uh, uh, now I'm really grateful I did it. Um, so yeah, or applying for a scholarship for COP. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard to connect the dots, right? But it's those are life experiences that will make you, uh, turn you into a good storyteller to your kids and people around, which is an in invaluable skill. But also, you know, bouncing back on, on this conversation, I, I, I noticed that the macro trends are evolving also on what people look up to, right? So in the 2010s, when I uh, arrived on the job market, everyone, at least the top engineers and business school, uh, wanted to go uh, work in finance and become traders, right? It was kind of the, the hot, hot thing you wanted to do to maximize financial freedom and get rich. Then you sort of entered uh, later on and everyone wanted to work in big tech or tech in general and become startup founders. And, and I find that trend accelerating and what people look up to, the North Star is definitely shifting towards values, impact, getting sense, finding sense in what you do. And so I really think there's going to fuel two things, a, a, a monster army going into climate. 
but also a lot of people trying things out uh, with different business models, aspiring to value, value first, and honestly, outcome, financial outcome. Um, and this is only getting started. So that's going to fuel an army of freelancers or people that are working solo or on their own activities, not necessarily optimizing for financial you know, revenues, but really impact. And then B is this climate thing is only going to blow up from, from there. Yes. No, I couldn't agree, agree more. I think a last uh, quick sentence also, people are sometimes not realizing that I think climate tech, the term is going to become obsolete one day, mm -hmm. uh, like clean energy is just going to turn into energy and clean transport is just going to turn into transport. So there's just, just such a massive shift happening. And obviously it's happening. It must happen. People are flowing in, money is flowing in. So I think it's a really exciting time. Um, so yeah. Good, good place to be in. And it's exciting to follow your journey. I really hope that you will grow and scale as this movement grows. Thanks so much, Tim, for, uh, for this awesome conversation. Super insightful to follow what's happening. And I look forward to more collaborations in the future. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. It's really, really fun talk. Lots of things to think about now as well. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks to all of you, as always, for tuning in. And see you in the next episode. If you haven't already, sign up for my weekly newsletter. Along with receiving updates about each new episode, you will also get one actionable insight every Saturday to boost your career, fund, or startup. My newsletter is value-packed, authentic, and full of unique insights. This newsletter is also the best way to join our growing community of climate investors. We found that building a community is probably the ultimate force multiplier, and it gives us the momentum we need to create profound change. Let's share and collaborate. I'm just here to empower you to get started and set you on a path to success so our collective ideas can flourish and expand. Come join us to drive huge impacts. If you haven't already, sign up for my weekly newsletter. Along with receiving updates about each new episode, you will also get one actionable insight every Saturday to boost your career, fund, or startup. My newsletter is value-packed authentic and full of unique insights. This newsletter is also the best way to join our growing community of climate investors. We found that building a community is probably the ultimate force multiplier and it gives us the momentum we need to create profound change. Let's share and collaborate. I'm just here to empower you to get started and set you on a path to success so our collective ideas can flourish and expand. Come join us to drive huge impacts.